Vincent. <laughs> Dearest Vincent, I know you don't know who I am, but believe me, I came halfway across oh, the whoa, world. Whoa, 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 whoa. I got another six hours to pay the money back. And tell the claim brothers that harassing a man who's already in the slammer is beneath even them, all right? I don't know any claim brothers. I'm your brother, Julius. Huh? Come again? My name is Julius, and I'm your twin brother. Oh, obviously. The moment I sat down, I thought I was looking into a mirror. We are not identical twins. <gasps> oh, no? No. Well, I wouldn't be too sure, pal. I don't lie. I am your brother, and you must let me help you get out of here. You want to help me get out? Yes, right now. Well, money talks and bullshit walks. Hello, and welcome to When We Were Young, the podcast that thoroughly dissects bodybuilding and Republican state politics through a distinctly Austrian lens. <laughs> and, if there's time left over, also delves into the side gigs bodybuilding governors sometimes manage to fit into their resumes, including starring in major Hollywood blockbusters. Who are you talking about, Chris? There are so many, I mean, to take a, a pick. It's a rich genre. There's a whole <laughs> pantheon. We're actually dedicating the next season and a half of the podcast to just this slice of Austrian Americana. <laughs> I'm Chris, the podcast host, most likely to compare his own biceps to Rambo's and find Sly Stallone coming up laughably short. I'm Becky, the podcast host, most likely to have no respect for those who have no respect for logic. And I'm Seth, the host most likely to seem a little worried because his bowels are troubling him. On the When We Were Young podcast, we have talked about actors, directors, singers, songwriters, authors, animators, poets, and puppeteers. But I believe this is the first time we are covering a gubernator. <laughs> or a bodybuilder. A gubernator? <laughs> what? Someone who does gubernatorial things. Is it just a governor? It's either. Oh. Well, we're having a gubernatorial <laughs> discussion, so it's only right that we talk about the gubernator in question. I feel like he would he would prefer Gubernator. It sounds more Terminator like. No one else we've talked about has been in politics. Did mm. we do a movie that Reagan was in? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, I think we skipped bedtime for Bonzo. <laughs> so no, no Reagan joints just yet. That was in our when our grandparents were young okay. podcast. Okay. <laughs> So, today's subject was a governor of yours truly's state of residence from 2003 to 2011. He is also considered by many to be the greatest bodybuilder of all time. And he had the action blockbuster career you might expect a hulking He-Man from Austria to have, starring in some of the most notable action films of the 80s and 90s, including the Terminator franchise, which we covered way back in episode 52, as well as films like Predator, Total Recall, True Lies, Eraser, and Batman and Robin. In this episode, we're going to talk about the other side of Arnold Schwarzenegger's film career. Oh, we're talking about Arnold. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I know you thought it was Rick Moranis, but... <laughs> so close, Rick Moranis. Next time. We're going to be talking about the films in which he attempted to pump you up with laughter. <laughs> also with a lot of super seed. That's just one of Well, no, it's more than one, It's actually. more than one. Okay, point taken. <laughs> Beginning when he first teamed up with filmmaker Ivan Reitman for a trio of comedies that all grossed upwards of $100 million, 1988's Twins, 1990's Kindergarten Cop, and 1994's Junior. These three films have something else in common aside from the unstoppable duo of Schwarzenegger and Reitman. They all have to do with birth and or parenthood in various ways, 
with varying ranges of plausibility. <laughs> Ranging from little to very none. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we are uniting these films for the next two episodes under the banner Schwarzapregers. Schwarzapregers. It's a song. It's poetry. It's the hottest way to celebrate the hottest part of the summer season. <laughs> and I'm just proud to be on this journey with my co-host today. That was beautiful. Thank you. The poetry of Chris's word, Schwarzeneggers, it put a melody in my heart. I'll put it even more succinctly. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger's body, our choice. <laughs> This episode at a very uh, interesting time <laughs> in both the country and in my life because I am uh, two weeks away from my due date. We never ever talked about this, so I'm pregnant again. Hooray! Yeah, <laughs> I, I give it an unqualified hooray. I'm I for one am excited. The baby part is the hooray. The pregnancy part is the boo. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I I don't know how much freewheeling detail you're comfortable getting into about this experience, but it seems like this pregnancy has been more of a slog for you than the last one. Mm, It's it's arguable. Yeah, I I remember the last one being quite a slog. I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I'm going to go if the last one was worse, but this one comes close. (laughs) (laughs) Great job, silver medal baby. (laughs) The babies I make are quite lovely, but the pregnancy I go through is just terrible. I'll get more into the gory, bloody show details when we talk about Junior. I think that's probably the more appropriate Maybe we should have done the thing for this episode. (laughs) Also, I'm just so glad I invested in a full couch-sized plastic liner. (laughs) Chris, your water can break at any moment, and I just want to be prepared for that as a co-host of the show. Oh, is that what these stirrups are for? (laughs) (laughs) No, those are my fun stirrups, actually. I forgot to put those away earlier. Thank you. uh, I have been involuntarily peeing when coughing, so... (laughs) Ooh, we've got that to look forward to. (laughs) So who knows how how much I'll laugh and just ruin Seth's couch. (laughs) I often say that recording this show is a lot like playing bingo, and much like playing bingo, people are likely to pee involuntarily. <laughs> Jesus, what? <laughs> so, who's ready to get pumped up with muscles and or babies? <laughs> Can I get pumped up with muscles, please? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's an easy choice. I choose muscles. I would just like to remind you guys, as we get started, of the current tally. Schwarzenegger, five. Pacino, Streep, Day-Lewis, all zero. <laughs> So I have an opening question for us to get us in the uh, proper mood for uh, muscles and, and not for babies. This is a babyless question. Mm-hmm. You can't really talk about Arnold without talking about his body and athletic prowess. So my question is, what was your experience with exercise or physical education when you were young? And how did it affect your body image then and now? Chris. <laughs> <Upbeat> topic. <laughs> <sighs> 
Okay. <laughs> We're going to start there. I'm sure we all have similar trajectories to Arnold. So, you know, we, we just want to see how much we relate to this list yeah. guy. It all worked great. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I've been overweight since I've been like five years old and went to fat camp for four years. So pretty bad. <laughs> what was the other part of the question? <laughs> so what was your experience in like PE class or with like oh, sports or exercise? last. Didn't want to try because I felt left out. You know, general picked last in class <laughs> experiences. I guess when I went to camp, I still like wasn't really into sports, but at least there no one was like the, the fat kid because everyone was. So you didn't feel quite as left out. And maybe you were picked last because you were just really bad <laughs> versus, you know, fat and unsatisfactory compared to the other kids. What bothered me most looking back at gym class was like, I could have been great, but people just make assumptions, mm-hmm. you know, because I think at camp I played hockey and I was pretty good at it actually like just like you know hockey in a rink um like not field hockey but what is that called when you're not on skates i think that's called <laughs> just hitting each other with sticks well no let's just say it was field hockey um it's called youth gang rivalries <laughs> becky was a shark but i was pretty good at it and then in college in my last semester at college i did intramural hockey and i was pretty good at it so it made me be like and this is years before i got into roller derby and i was like I could have been I could have been a great athlete. Nobody knew because they just judged me on my appearance. Could have been a contender. I could have. Yeah, I think it really fucks with you for your whole life. Even when I did play derby for like seven years, it took a, a long time for me to be like, I'm an athlete because of just like your whole entire life of being told, no, you're not because of how you look like or what you weigh. I think it really messes with you. I would love for my child, soon to be children, like to know no matter what they look like, whether they're short or tall or fat or thin, like doesn't mean they can't do certain things and to not judge other people on that either yeah what about you seth well like becky pretty much all my childhood experience of quote-unquote athletics and athleticism was in exercise in unintentionally and uninvitedly learning where I didn't belong and learning why I wasn't worthy and learning specific reasons of things I never had any control over as to why I didn't belong and why I was unworthy. And it went way beyond just not wanting to participate in team sports. I was picked last all the time in PE, like even among like my friends, but of course, like my friend group were all basically the other kids who were picked last for PE things. I just remember that being a kind of like social time for my friends and I. And I think there was just even uh, unspoken permission from the people who taught PE for us to like hang out in the corner. That said, when I was growing up, I always loved moving my body, loved running around, loved playing basketball. Weirdly, I used to play and enjoy the hell out of basketball. I used to be excellent at dribbling like really (laughs) excellent i still love roller skating though i barely ever do it anymore i never got into like skateboarding or anything like that i feel like i would have if i tried but it was just kind of something where i saw people's gnarly skateboard injuries and was like i will 
pick not that. Thank mm-hmm. you. There were other like physical sports type activities that I got into later. Like I really love ping pong and pool. I consider a sport of some kind, and I never did it competitively, but I always truly loved swimming. That was a huge part of my summer camp experience. And the place where I went to elementary school and went to summer camp had a big Olympic sized swimming pool. So I just spent like whole entire summers of my childhood doing laps and fantasizing about the part of your world sequence from Little Mermaid. (laughs) Obviously, I was Ariel coming ashore. I mean, looking back on it, that was the time in my life where I appreciated my body the most, where I was the most kind of connected to it. I had a very brief couple of year period during my adulthood when I really got into exercise and was really doing it consistently. And I lost a lot of weight and it was really weird. I noticed the way that other people noticed me in ways that they never would have noticed me or spoken to me with a degree of respect or admiration that they never did before. And that once I gained weight again didn't happen anymore. And so even during that period, I think one of the reasons it was unfortunately very easy for me to slide out of it was just that kind of sense of dysphoria of feeling like I was finally connected to my body, but I was the same Seth that I had always been. And yet people spoke to me in tones of like admiration or being impressed with me for this thing that, sure, I had control over it, but I also had control over literally all of my other life accomplishments that were not connected to, like, my most surface-level superficial aspects. And people did not give a shit about those, or at least never found the words to express that kind of um, being impressed or that kind of astonishment with me in any other aspect of my life. Do you know what I hear, though, when I hear you say that is I hear other people's insecurity with themselves because absolutely when I see somebody who is disciplined, I mean, my husband has lost like 18 pounds while I've gained <laughs> like 40. You have a baby in you. It's okay. <laughs> but like I'm looking at him and I see his discipline and I'm just like, wow, I can't do that. I am so impressed with him and, mm-hmm. and that he's able to do that. So it's almost more about me (laughs) Mm -hmm. than it is about flowering them with compliments and thinking that's all they're good for or that's the the highest achievement they could possibly get is looking good it's because it's almost like you're they're probably thinking to themselves like wow i can't do that that's and that's so insightful and is absolutely true like even down to a person what i like really that taught me a lot about other people's insecurities Mm -hmm. but i really found that last observation you made interesting because i think there is a really different way that people praise athletic ability versus any other Mm -hmm. you know kind of achievement like especially like academic when you're a kid like that's the other kind of achievement that you're likely to have or you know something like that and you know we were all academic kids you know we were all pretty smart kids and i'm sure that we were much more achieving in that way than athletically i was festooned with ribbons and trophies (laughs) literally i'm about to get like the mother load of my parents are going to take pictures in their storage facility of all of the shit that I like won all the academic awards. Mm-hmm. But I have the feeling like, cause I, I had the same thing. I have, you know, trophies and ribbons from when I was growing up too. 
but I feel like one goal or, you know, <laughs> touchdown or whatever. I mean, I wasn't even playing like football or anything, but the praise that you would have gotten from one of those, even just like not even necessarily even winning a game, but doing one athletic thing, right, would outweigh <laughs> all of the trophies and ribbons you could get from, you know, after school activities and, and academic stuff. So apologies to our listeners, because this is going to be a fun episode. But this question, I have to chime in with the sort of melancholy uh, <laughs> beat of this, because I had a really similar experience to you guys of being picked last for things and just never really included in games and sports. And even at like recess, you know, when you're not really like competing for anything, you know, it was just like not feeling, you know, like at home in that environment and, and other people not, you know, kind of including me because there is such a stigma around like not being good at something, you know, like people are very competitive, even at like a recess game. And when I was thinking of this question, like there was one really specific experience that came to mind was in seventh grade, when I was transitioning from elementary school to junior high. So it was like the first year of being in like that, you know, very different environment. There was a teacher who was like very notorious for everyone for being really, really tough and pretty militaristic, honestly, with like the way that he like ran PE class. And he was always I don't think he taught every single seventh grader but he was like the one the teacher that they used to kind of like like it was supposed to be like a rough transition it was almost like the like a hazing ritual or something which in retrospect now seems weird but was just kind of the way it was at the time in this weird way he really seemed to enjoy like the control he could have with like making kids like exert themselves and kind of intimidating them and like a military drill instructor or something like that they want like the regiment to all be in sync and and all that and so as someone who didn't have a lot of experience with sports up to that point or anything really athletic I would have really benefited from an environment that was somewhere where you could try things and fail and it wasn't like this sort of drill to be like perfect and in line and like every like to match the ability of everyone else and where you could actually learn but it was all about the performance in this way that I think was very stressful for someone who is shy and and not confident so that class just totally catered to kids who were already like strong athletic performers and they completely got like all the attention in the class versus the people who actually probably needed it and it really made me dread this class and just like feel like a failure every time I went to this class like and also just coming into junior high for the first time like already just set me me up to be not confident in that environment you know when you're already like nervous about like trying to fit in a new school and like figure your way through this kind of different system I think like that really resonated with me like later in life of like stopping me from trying other like activities or ever wanting to like even step foot in a gym or even or try a new sport because of this fear of being like called out for not being good at it even putting a finer point on it in that context like the failures of their students in like doing well in PE or like learning new athletic skills that's not ever put as a failure of the PE teacher or the coach yeah and it's like it's it's a weird and total inversion of what we're all taught to view as educational attainment and it absolutely holds like that is absolutely how the coaches would act in all my PE classes they would of course treat the kids on their own sports teams that they were also coaching with more respect than they treated everyone else even when they like tried not to yeah yeah I mean there was definitely like this attitude that if you could please him like you had done something right instead of you know that like he was kind of twisted and he also was like very scary looking and had like Charles Manson eyes 
eyes, like these just like wild <laughs> eyes. So good time. I wouldn't say I still have nightmares about him, but if I think about him, I'm still a little creeped out and mm. would hide under furniture. <laughs> so let's all take a lap now. How do you transition out of that? Let's do 30 reps. We each try our own Arnold Schwarzenegger impression. Ready? <laughs> <laughs> I tried this in preparation. I was like, this is an accent I cannot do. I no, can't even try No, we're all going to have to do it. No, we all have to do it at least once. All right, what should we say? <laughs> Chunya. Chunya. He's not a Duma. Kindergarten cop. <laughs> Did you watch a press junket with him where he said the title? <laughs> I am some kind of kindergarten cop. He's <laughs> not a Chunya. <laughs> That was perfect. That'll hold up in a court of law. You you put that Arnold on the stand, he'll win the case. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My parents in the beginning, when I started bodybuilding, they didn't know really what it is. Until I introduced my father to bodybuilding and they took him to all the gymnasiums. And he then started picking up weights and making his arms strong and so on. And uh then they started liking it, what I did, especially after I won the first international competition, which was the first contest I ever ended, was the Junior Mr. Europe in Stuttgart, Germany. So when I came home with my trophy, obviously my parents were very proud of me and they said, well, my son, he's, that's my son. Arnold Alois Schwarzenegger <laughs> was born in Tall, Austria. Tall? T-H-A-L, I assume okay. that's how to say it. <laughs> I'm guessing that's right. And he is very tall. <laughs> On July 30th, 1947, to Gustav and Aurelia Schwarzenegger. Prior to their marriage, Gustav was chief of police and a registered member of the Nazi party in the late 1930s. Ooh. He served as a military policeman in World War II. So, can probably surmise <laughs> that he did some rather unsavory things. We don't know that, allegedly. Allegedly. Well, he's not around anymore, so I don't <laughs> think he's going to sue us. Yeah, allegedly it's good when Nazis die. So, <laughs> that's enough on that. When Arnold was born, his mother was in her mid-twenties and his father about 40. His father favored his older brother, at least in part, because he expected Arnold was not his. Arnold has said that his father was very strict, going on to say, My hair was pulled, I was hit with belts, so was the kid next door. It was just the way it was. Many of the children I've seen were broken by their parents, which was the German-Austrian mentality. They didn't want to create an individual. It was all about conforming. Oh. He began bodybuilding around the age of 14, choosing that as his chosen athletic pursuit, despite his father's wish for the boys to pursue Bavarian curling. <laughs> What a different path he would have taken. The funny thing is that he started weightlifting so early. What did you say, 14? Yeah. Because I cannot picture this man without this weightlifting body. Like, And it's almost like he never existed. He barely existed before his weightlifting body. <laughs> In 1965, he went AWOL during his required military service to participate in the Junior Mr. Europe bodybuilding contest, in which he placed first. He then spent a week in military prison for going AWOL. Wow. He placed first in several more competitions through the late 60s, including multiple first place wins as Mr. Universe, and moved to the U.S. in 1968, training at Gold's Gym in Venice. 
His personal deadlift record is 683 pounds, which is probably more than the three of us combined could <laughs> lift. Just to give his his stats, uh, he's six foot two and 260 pounds when not competing. He has acknowledged using steroids, not for muscle growth, but for maintenance while losing weight for com- competitions. When his father died in 1972, he did not attend the funeral. Okay, so we can take out that allegedly. He doesn't like the man. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Through the 1970s, he placed first as Mr. Olympia seven times, a title that basically translates to being the best bodybuilder in the world. For the 1975 Mr. Olympia contest, Schwarzenegger was filmed for the documentary Pumping Iron alongside Lou Ferrigno, who would soon play the Incredible Hulk on TV. We all watched Pumping Iron in preparation for this, although we did not pump any actual iron, I imagine. (laughs) I was about to say I was pumping breast milk, but not yet, so. (laughs) Well, you were taking prenatal vitamins. They probably got iron in them, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was mostly pumping fiber, uh, oatmeal. <laughs> so what did you guys think of Pumping Iron? Had you had you seen it before or was this the first time? I've seen it in part before. I'll freely admit to fast forwarding through much of it. I could not stay too closely interested in a documentary about bodybuilders, but I did think it was like very competently made and for people interested in that subject matter, it would probably be absolutely fascinating. To me, the most interesting thing was just seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger as a very young man because basically starting from the time that he was the biggest actor star in the world, and especially at the time when I started to become aware of him as a person, he was already an adult, if not a middle-aged adult. Most of his bodybuilding days and championships and all of that were behind him by that time, even though he was obviously a very advanced physical specimen. But yeah, just seeing him as a young and bratty, immature kind of person was actually kind of enriching for me to like see the fact that this guy who became one of the biggest action stars in the world actually did grow up from there and amid all of the success that he had at least seemed like that after this period in his life he wasn't quite the egomaniac that he certainly could have been yeah what about you becky yeah i've seen this years ago and was astounded how watchable it was very interesting in terms of just watching what bodybuilding really means like these what is it olympia mr Uh, mr olympia Olympia competitions And also just a character study of Arnold Schwarzenegger before the documentary filmmaker would even know what would become of this man. It's funny that you, Seth, saw like the brattiness and immaturity because I saw that he was always so articulate and enthusiastic, which is something that I think he still is. So seeing him young was kind of mind blowing because it felt like he was still the same person. It was just so fascinating (laughs) seeing somebody so young before they go through the process of becoming one of not the biggest action star, the biggest star in the world. Absolutely. And yet, like, they're just always that person from the very beginning. I was just, like, blown away by, like, the chapters of this man's life. (laughs) He is the most famous man in bodybuilding at this point. So this isn't even him in obscurity. Like, in his field, he is, like, the star. And he still is the best. His awards that he's won are still, like, the most impressive. Yeah, I'm, and, but, like, oh, the places you'll go. Right. Like, he married a Kennedy. He became a movie star, then an action star, then a comedy star, a governor. Like, it's just like, it's insane. It's like you want there to be a biopic of him one day, but who's going to play him <laughs> besides him? Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do look alike. 
<laughs> I would just have loved to have seen more footage from that time. And I think we need to include, there's a quote that I had to like transcribe and write down from it. Cause it was, I wonder which one it is. <laughs> the, there's a moment like early on in the doc when he talks about how I was always dreaming about very powerful people, dictators and things like that. I was just always impressed by people who could be remembered for hundreds of years or even like Jesus being remembered for thousands of years. Becky, like you're saying, I totally agree with you. Like he was very articulate and very self-possessed by that time, especially. But I think that there's the kind of person who can have that aspiration about being a very powerful person and have that take you to some incredibly dark ends. And the fact that he pretty manifestly did not do that um, in really any facet of his life. You know, like he didn't, he didn't take the more you know, narcissistic or self-serving turns that one could take with that kind of fame and that level of exposure. Yeah, I have to say, like, look, I don't know him personally. Maybe he wasn't a great husband (laughs) uh, because of cheating allegations. But as far as being a good person or good to work with, like, it seems like it seems like he is, you know, Um, it seems like he's never really fucked anyone over he's i don't think that he's been me tooed <laughs> I, I mean the main no, thing like not at all the main thing is a little suspect because it's an employee um but um it, it seems like he's generally like a very positive enthusiastic disciplined uh uh person who who wants something and gets it um and and doesn't let like anything get in his way and and it's just like kind of mind blowing to see somebody excel at so many things. And watching this documentary is just being like, "Look, he's got something that I don't have." <laughs> like <laughs> A few I, things, <laughs> like, like I, I can succeed over here and over here and be a good mom, be a good wife, be a good friend. Uh, but I don't have what he's whatever is in him. <laughs> and so it's just fascinating watching somebody with that personality. It kind of reminds me of Tom Cruise. Yeah, um, you, like you just kind of have to be born or somehow develop this kind of personality that will get you to those heights. Yeah, I think that Tom Cruise analogy is really spot on. And just hearing what you've said about like his family background, I think really that just shows where that drive comes from, like very much to me. Yeah, I was also thinking of Tom Cruise because we did that episode fairly recently. But also like the differences is that Tom Cruise was so focused on becoming a movie star and did that, but basically only did that and like spent all his focus like on that and has continued on the same trajectory the whole time. Yeah, but it's all related. You know, it's not our governor. Right. Well, God bless. Um. I mean, he may be the governor of Scientology, but (laughs) I I consider that kind of in the same world. Well, yeah, and I would say he's, uh, unfortunately, he's probably, at one point, was more politically powerful than the governor of California in terms of his own political role, but that's not the case anymore, I don't think. Yeah, but with Arnold, just becoming a huge movie star, one of the biggest you know, stars in the world for a couple of decades could turn you into a monster or would give you enough reason to be, like, an egomaniac. But he did that, like, with three different things, like politics, bodybuilding, and movies. And, you know, there's probably other things that he's also succeed. He's a restaurateur, although that didn't go quite as well. (laughs) It did for several years, several decades. We're talking Planet Hollywood, of course. (laughs) 
But yeah, it is crazy that he just like excelled at so many wildly different things and things that don't necessarily easily lead into each other. Like there's a lot of, you know, singers who become actors or something like that because that's a natural path. It's a little bit less natural to go from bodybuilding to, you know, junior. (laughs) I mean, you can think of somebody like The Rock where where they went from wrestling to, to being a movie star. Yeah, the difference being that, that that kind of wrestling is performative for TV, so you're already kind of performing, but I agree. I mean... That's true. There's a lot more screenwriting and acting and professional wrestling than there is in, like, bodybuilding. Yeah, there's, like, John Cena. I'm trying... Like, there's... I feel like yeah. there's a bunch of wrestlers. Yeah, I think have, that's a much yeah. more s- straight career path nowadays. Yeah, and I think probably, yeah, Schwarzenegger probably, like, made that career path, like, something that, like, other people could more easily follow than when he started it. I had not seen this movie before and didn't really know what to expect. Yeah, I don't really have any interest in bodybuilding, so I was kind of curious about this movie, but also a little bit dreading it, just because I think there's a certain point where an interest in weightlifting and, and, like, physical health becomes dysmorphia, and that's a whole topic. But, like, seeing these bodies and how extreme they are, it was very interesting to hear his psychology and some of the other bodybuilders in the movie explaining why they do this and their mentality and for him there's no overt signs listening to him talk about it where it seems like he's like really not you know in touch with the reality of the situation or like he he has crazy ideas about it like what looks good or what his body is like he's doing it for different reasons than to just like look good or you know be healthy like it's it's this kind of achievement based thing that like at one point he likens to feeling like he is constantly orgasming which is a very interesting way to describe it it's as satisfying to me as uh, coming is, you know, as uh, having sex with a woman and coming. And so can you believe how much I am in heaven? I'm like uh, getting the feeling of coming in the gym. I'm getting the feeling of coming at home. I'm getting the feeling of coming backstage when I pump up, when I pose out in front of 5,000 people. I get the same feeling. So I'm coming day and night. I mean, it's terrific, right? <laughs> so, you know, I'm in heaven. So, I mean, in a way, I would have liked some other perspective or to kind of, you know, like, hint at maybe, like, a darker side of this. But that's not what this movie was. This movie was very much just kind of, like, observing. It wasn't really making any sort of commentary on these people or, like, bringing in outside points of view. It was really just kind of, like, a day in the life of these people, although several days in the life of these people. Yeah, I mean, it still just surprised me at, like, how positive you can be when you're being that competitive and working so hard at something and doing something that, to me, feels, like, so punishing to your body, although I guess he finds it rewarding. I still can't quite get my mind around it because it's just, like, you've gone past the point of, like, looking good, which I guess is maybe not the point of it, but still. Yeah, I would say that it's not about looking good, it's about showing the limits of the human body, that you can push those limits. And it's also like a calculated overdevelopment, you know? I'm sure that like it is for me, to many outside observers, it would seem like there's something kind of inherently dysmorphic about that. Because even at that time, I and I, it's not super clear whether all those people are using steroids or not, but to me, they're monster people. <laughs> <laughs> and like it was especially fascinating seeing Lou Ferrigno in this because I'd only ever seen Lou Ferrigno as the Incredible Hulk and that was like many years if not decades later and even at that point later on when he was like this iconic character like 
he looked run down compared to how youthful and and just young and vibrant he looks in this movie. But I'd never seen really anything about Lou Ferrigno as a person. And their rivalry is very interesting, too, because it's like Schwarzenegger seems to always try to, like, court competition with him, but in a friendly way. And not in a mean, negatively adversarial kind of way, even when, like, sports journalists and stuff are, like, kind of trying to goad them into having, like, a public negative rivalry with each other, and he just, like, refuses to take that bait. Wasn't a thing that, like, changed my own preconceptions about the psychology of bodybuilding, but it definitely helped me understand how for these people who were, like, reaching the heights of the heights of it, it was very much a calling, and it was an expressive medium for them that just used their body as the delivery vehicle for it. Well, I think what's interesting is that I think of athletes who are big with muscles like MMA fighters or boxers or even wrestlers, but they are fighting someone. <laughs> like bodybuilders mm. are not touching anyone else. Mm. So they don't need the muscles to punch harder mm-hmm. or grapple. It's not a means to an end. Yeah. That is the end result. It's literally just, I'm going to pose this way. <laughs> And it seems like such a subjective sport. I'm staring at all these people in this movie, and I'm like, they're, they're all they're all great. <laughs> like, great. like, wow! How do you decipher that Arnold is better than Lou is better than the the other guy? Like, yeah. I'm just like they they all look massive. <laughs> I I want to do Becky's bodybuilding competition, and just everyone wins. <laughs> Y'all look great. Participation trophy for all of you. You all did great. It's just funny that they're not like, I'm working out so I can punch harder. I'm working out so I can run faster. It's, I'm working out so I can go like, me. (laughs) It's true. I mean, almost everything else that's competitive is competitive with like some sort of clear outcome. Like someone is the winner. And this is like an inherently, it is kind of inherently narcissistic because you're like looking in the mirror. You're like obsessed with your own body and constantly flexing your own muscles and looking at how you can do it and deciding how you can pose or something. It's almost more like being a dancer in a way or something like perfecting that. It's almost like an art in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a really interesting part for me too is Arnold goes to ballet classes. Oh, I mm-hmm. loved it. He just looks so confident. And I was like, yes, this is a man who's just like, yep, I'm completely confident in myself. I'll oh, take yeah. ballet. And I mean, you can so clearly see the way he engaged it and like see how quickly he was learning like what he needed to learn from that. I like that sequence a lot. And it was interesting reading about his background before that and connecting it to who he became is that he had this really domineering father who was literally a Nazi. Allegedly. (laughs) No, he was registered Nazi. Okay. And he started bodybuilding as a way to, like, have some autonomy and I think give himself some power over his father in some way. I mean... I don't know how much physically like that he needed like physical power over his father. I mean, it sounds like there was probably some abuse going on there. Well, and I just think the metaphor extends even to the art of bodybuilding itself. Like he literally was building a body that was his own, that no longer belonged to his lineage. And the fact that he became then an American movie star and even politician is also so telling because he talked about all the conformity that was in his childhood, like, and especially like... As a, at that time, you know, the 
idea of like Austrian and German, you know, people wanting society to conform to their ideas. You know, that's very much a thing that was present in the 40s when he was born. So America to him was this land where he could be someone that he could not be where he came from and that he like literally built his own body to get him to that place. Like that was his way of getting there. It is just adds a lot to, you know, this guy that I think growing up when we did, like you said, he was already very established in the culture and he wasn't a joke, but he was just like this oddity, you know? And so it was like, you don't really think of him that seriously. At least I never did. You know, I always... Well, and I think he, he, I think he was a joke or like he was someone who was always joked about and he was also someone who always allowed himself to be the butt of a joke. Yeah, he was in on the joke. Yeah, But it was so, it was funny, you know? And then like... A lot of, we're going to talk about the comedies, but, like, he was playing on that image so often. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, we'll talk about that with all these movies, how he uses his body in these movies, which also is very interesting because he has a sense of humor because he is just oozing confidence. He can pretend he's pregnant because he's like, I'm Arnold fucking Schwarzenegger. I'm the most confident man in the world. Like, I don't have to... Be like, oh, people are going to think that I'm fat or that I'm not as in shape as I am. I'm 6'2 and I can kick your ass so (laughs) I can afford to laugh at myself and like let you laugh at me because in real life, no, you can't. Yeah, and I think, like, that's why he's so charming, is that, like, if you probably called him a fuckhead or something, he'd be like, yeah! <laughs> like, it's just Absolutely. like, he would roll off his, the, his all the muscles in his back. <laughs> <laughs> like, water off a gigantic mountain of a man's back. <laughs> yeah, like, maybe that's part of why he's so successful, is that he's never, as far as I know, have, uh, having a cry in the shower. <laughs> Like, he's just like, I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, okay, you're going to think that? Whatever. I'm going to go, I'm going to go marry this Kennedy now. (laughs) I'm going to go do this now. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's fascinating to watch him. And it's actually like a really interesting thing to see in politics too, because so many politicians have these like neuroses that come out or you know or they're manipulative and and they're not as genuine as he is you know they have agendas and and things well and so many politicians drive to power their literal will to power so clearly emanates from their brokenness and insecurity Mm. and selfishness and unfulfilled childhood emotional needs like even if you don't necessarily know their backstory these people are often so fucking transparent that you can just literally see it on their faces but he didn't have that in his I, I don't think his politics are a result of that. And I mean, his politics are kind of a different thing that we can talk about later or not talk about. But yeah, he's fascinating as a political figure, but I also think there's a lot of continuity there with all the other elements of his personality. Yeah, totally. Schwarzenegger retired from bodybuilding in 1980. His first film role had come a decade earlier with the low-budget indie Hercules in New York, filmed almost entirely in Central Park, where he was credited as Arnold Strong alongside co-star Arnold Stang. <laughs> It was a strong staying production. He was 22 years old at the time. From there, he was frequently told his body was too weird. And that his name and foreign accent meant he had no chance in the movie business. Although he did have a handful of small roles over the 70s. 
His major film breakthrough came with 1982's Conan the Barbarian, followed by the sequel Conan the Destroyer in 1984, and a little film called The Terminator. The rest of the 80s were filled out by action-focused roles you would expect a bodybuilder to play, including 1985's Predator and 1987's Commando and The Running Man. Then Schwarzenegger's career took a bit of a turn in 1988 with the film Twins. And the first rule in a crisis situation. You negotiate first and you attack last. Well, you negotiate first and then you attack. You never negotiated. Nah. You don't know what kind of an enemy I am. Who are you? Oh, I'm Vincent's brother. We're twins. That's right. You're fired. You have no respect for logic. Okay. We just got an axe. <laughs> I have no respect for those with no respect for logic. Twins! <laughs> Twins, as he would pronounce it. <laughs> Twins was directed by Ivan Reitman. It was written by William Davies, Timothy Harris, William Osborne, and Herschel Weingrod. It stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito, Kelly Preston, and Chloe Webb. It was released December 9th, 1988. The budget was $18 million and the box office was $215 million. Holy shit. It was uh, Arnold's first comedy, unless you laughed a whole lot at Hercules in New York. <laughs> As I think pretty much everyone who saw it did, but that was not very many people. Right. <laughs> yeah, also, I mean... Conan was a hit, at least, but I, I think that is definitely a funnier movie. I think it's also more action. Oh, definitely. Than, Certainly. Yeah. So this is the first time Arnold starred in a studio comedy instead of an action movie. He voluntarily took no salary in exchange for a 20% share of the film's profits. <laughs> he ended up making $35 million, <laughs> Yeah. And that's Holy in shit. 88 money. He made more from Twins than from any of the Terminator movies. In a 2016 interview, Schwarzenegger stated that the decision to quote, invest in myself uh, by trying comedy and foregoing a salary in exchange for a share of the film's profits was one of the best decisions of his entire life. He trained with iconic comedian Milton Berle to work on his comic timing. <laughs> that totally makes sense. <laughs> as far as reviews go, um, it currently has a Rotten Tomato score of 43%. Huh. At the time, I think it was more mixed. Vincent Canby of the New York Times gave the film a negative review. He said, to the extent that Twins is carried by anybody, it is carried by Mr. DeVito. Mr. Schwarzenegger is dead weight. The plot of Twins is uh, Julius and Vincent Benedict are fraternal twin brothers. Their birth is the result of a secret experiment using the DNA of six different men to produce the perfect child. To the surprise of scientists, the embryo split and there were twins instead of a single child. Their birth mother was told that Julius died at birth and she was not told about Vincent at all. Julius grew up on an island and was trained and educated, while Vincent was raised in an orphanage and grew up to be a petty criminal. Julius finds out he has a brother and ventures to Los Angeles to find Vincent and start a relationship and find their mother together. The kind of movie that simply pitches itself. <laughs> I mean, it is pretty high concept. It's Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger are twins. Yeah, but I feel like we're giving the actual setup for that short shrift because it's a bunch of old white men who literally jizz in a cup and impregnate Heather Graham with that. 
is Heather Graham. <laughs> Their combined Uber mentions supersede is so powerful that she purportedly dies while giving birth to Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. But she didn't. But they say she did. But right. There was going to be a sequel for several years. There was supposed to be a sequel called Triplets starring Arnold, Danny DeVito and Eddie Murphy. How is that possible? Well, a funny thing happens in the mixing of the sperm. I think that was a quote from Arnold. Very funny thing. Not funny enough to get made, though. Uh, filming was supposed to begin in January 2022 with Tracy Morgan stepping in for Eddie Murphy. However, Ivan Reitman died this past year in February, and now the status of the movie is unclear. Boo-hoo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's from everything I've seen, Arnold himself is still very excited to do it, and so is Danny DeVito. Like, they've been talking it up for years now. I feel like it doesn't work unless it's Eddie Murphy, though, because you have to have 80s stars. Like, Tracy Morgan is just, like, a different era of star and a different level of star. Well, and I think he's a very different comedian. Like, it's just a very different comedic energy and approach to comedy. How about this just sounds terrible? (laughs) And that. (laughs) I mean, sure, but, like, the initial premise sounded very... uh, Like, it's an inherently goofy premise. I do think, though, that it could conceivably work with Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy's finally had a kind of career renaissance, like, with, like, Dolomite Is My Name that I thought was fantastic. I did hate Coming to America. I didn't even see that. The sequel. I feel like he always has a renaissance, and then he does, like, five terrible movies, (laughs) and then he does finally one more good one, and then they're like, Renaissance! And then he just, like, continues to, like, take bad paychecks. He does Nicolas Cage quite a bit. Uh-huh. I agree. Um, so, did you guys ever watch Twins when you were growing up? Absolutely did. This was, I guarantee this was a home-taped VHS that, like, my mom or dad taped off of HBO one day. I think I watched all these movies growing up. If not exactly when they came out, then, like, shortly after their home video release. I think these were kind of, like, mainstays in the local blockbuster and in the local, like, mom-and-pop video rental stores. I could always tell that, like, a lot of my family members loved Arnold in, you know, Commando, in Terminator, in Conan, and were kind of excited to check him out in comedies for that reason, because they just, like, loved his personality as a performer and wanted to see him in that, you know, kind of different light. I absolutely did not watch this movie growing (laughs) up. When it came out, I was a little too young to care. And it was just, yeah, one of those movies I never had enough interest to go back and check out. In general, like, broad comedies are not my favorite thing. I like some of them, but there wasn't anything in this one that ever appealed to me enough. Like, I I know I was aware of it and probably saw it at the video store, but yeah, I saw Arnold's later movies, quite a few of them, and, and liked him well enough, but not enough to ever watch Twins until a couple weeks ago. I watched this a lot growing up. <laughs> a lot. There was not a lot new here in my recent rewatching because all of it came flooding back. And particularly the part where uh, Kelly Preston and Arnold are flirting and their whole thing and then they sleep together. That was definitely a core memory <laughs> as far as wow. sexuality. <laughs> you have some early formations here. We I mean, I don't this. know if I watched it in 88, but... I did watch it sometime in my youth, and that definitely stuck out as a very sexy, erotic moment yeah, uh, in my childhood. Is a very mild term for what's <laughs> happening in that scene. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, they sleep together. You don't see, right, there's no nudity, but they're definitely like... She's basically presenting during oh, yeah. that That is the exact sequence. word I have in yes. my notes. She's DTF. She's giving uh, side ass. Like, it's like side boob, but oh, she has yes. side ass. Yes, and, and, and as far as the 80s go, not the most egregious, like, boobs in your face. You know, it's still a family movie. Well, that's a, that's but... a high bar to clear. <laughs> right, but, uh, but uh, that part was like, oh boy, I remember this. <laughs> definitely had Barbies reenact this. <laughs> And see, one of the images I remembered was the machine that pumps jizz up and down and mixes it, apparently. I don't even know why I remembered that. I don't even remember that now. Is it's that like, in this movie? It's the opening shots of the movie, and shots is definitely a double entendre. Yeah. So what do you guys think of watching it now? I have questions about the science. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't shh 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 yeah shh, shh, shh. the answer is love and movie magic <laughs> there's no science i'm not gonna really ask them but i have questions <laughs> but what strikes me about this movie is they go through all this effort to like set the premise with like yeah six different guys and the mom thinks that the kids are dead and the kids think that the mom is dead and like blah 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 and I'm like, they could just be fraternal twins. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, a science plot. Like, and I feel like that just unnecessarily complicates it. I get that. Yeah, I totally get that, to simplify. Yeah. That maybe we just see flashbacks of this this dad. Mm-hmm. And maybe, yeah. But what, I mean, this movie and the other two movies that we're going to talk about, like, what really stuck out about them is what we already kind of mentioned, is the stars are the pitch. There is no movie without these specific stars. Maybe someone very, very similar to these stars. But you can only have very tall and muscular Arnold Schwarzenegger with short, kind of schlubby Danny DeVito. And it doesn't work if you cast, like, Nick Nolte in Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, that's not... Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see Nick Nolte just grumbling his way through. I would this. argue it has to be Schwarzenegger and it has to be DeVito. Yeah, I would argue that too. I think it literally is only these two actors. And Tracy Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's maybe, I can't even think of a substitute. I could see them trying with like certain substitutes like they sometimes do with movies that don't get the stars that would have been perfect. But I think it only would have been this form of hit with these two for sure. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I kind of miss the simplicity of that era where you could just make a movie with star star concept that's it like green light go like that was it they clearly didn't like develop the script or like you know need a lot of extra stuff they were like that's enough for a movie which doesn't happen very much anymore there may be like very very rare stars that maybe could be in that kind of movie i honestly can't even think of one right now unless it's again arnold schwarzenegger like coming back for something but those kind of movies also like often lead to lazy writing and i think there's some of that in this movie and these other movies where it's just like they rely on the stars to kind of carry the movie and don't actually like think through like who are these characters and why would they behave like this like it's very broad writing so in general i enjoyed this movie this was the one that i hadn't seen before really didn't know that much about i mean you look at the poster and you can kind of guess what kind of movie it is. But, you know, I really didn't know what the story was. And it got the job done. It was a first-time watch. It amused me. I thought some parts of it were ridiculous. I thought other parts were, you know, genuinely funny. And I thought Arnold was good in the movie, like, for, for what it is. I enjoyed his character and his performance. He's never, and I don't, I think this is true of almost every movie, he's never, like... 
the most convincing actor. Like you're not like watching like De Niro here where you're like absorbed in his performance, like believing every moment of his performance. And that's just kind of what kind of actor he is. But like he's a very enjoyable presence in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I my overriding response to this movie and most of these other movies is just this went down real easy (laughs) after we've had some difficult watches this year on the when we were young podcast but like just these just were like a cool refreshing glass of rosé on a (laughs) summer's eve this movie goes down like kelly preston and twins This movie presents on a hotel bed. Yeah, I just, exactly as we've all said now, it's like, I feel like this is the kind of movie that could only come to be with the powers combined of of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. I found some of these moments genuinely hilarious. The moment when Schwarzenegger finds out that he is another brother and like that moment runs off into the ocean (laughs) and takes off in a dinghy to row 27 miles to the nearest island that has an airport. There were like some genuinely very funny moments in this movie and also a lot of stuff that was just like silly or cute. But again, like for me, that didn't end up being nearly as annoying as I expected expected it to be and i didn't really find much of it super cloying even if there were probably some moments that were very pat or like lazily written chris like you were saying i love every second that danny devito was on screen i could watch him play a conniving scummy con man in literally any derivation especially now as frank reynolds on it's always sunny in philadelphia but even in this I think there's a lot of options to choose from with Danny DeVito movies. That's probably what you're going to (laughs) get. Truly. And I just feel like they played very well off of the expectations that an audience would have of what kind of character Danny DeVito is going to play. And like you, Chris, I, you know, I don't think Arnold is the technically most advanced actor, but he's so earnest and so throws himself into this role. And especially like, because his character in this movie is someone who's like learned everything from books. I actually kind of did buy that this is a person whose knowledge of literally everything is just completely theoretical. And I thought they actually did a really good job bouncing off of that a little bit. Like there's a sequence in this movie where Danny DeVito character teaches him to dance before he's going on what's basically his first date ever in his entire life. And I thought that moment was just genuinely very sweet and very masculine in a kind of like brotherly way without any like gay panic or any of the other like really cheap shots you would definitely expect a movie like this to take. And certainly I would say if this movie were made in the 90s, it would have taken absolutely every one of those cheap shot gay jokes. Yeah, And I know that's kind of a low bar to set, but mainstream Stream comedy cinema especially was not at the highest bar of excellence here. The first thing is, Jules, forget about disco, right? No disco. No disco. When I really want to romance a girl, I waltz with her. Ra-da-da, ra-da-da. You mean like Strauss? Yeah, yeah, it turns me into putty in your hands. Rum, bum, bum, bum. Come on, let's assume the dance position. I'll give you a couple of perters. I really appreciate that, Vincent. All right, hope nobody's looking in the window. Here, come on, like this. Here you go. Put your feet by my feet. Come on, let's go. Here. By my feet, not on my feet. 
Charles. Thanks very much. Sorry, Vincent. Minor oversight there. Yeah, I hadn't seen that scene, and I braced myself just like, I was like, I hope they don't go there. And luckily they did not. And they didn't. I had a great time rewatching this. I really like this movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, I agree. It, it's it's super watchable. One thing I don't love is the crime subplot, where it kind of went nowhere. It kind of felt like it was, like, fitted in, because, like, we need some sort of, like, conflict. Like an external conflict. Yeah, we need an yeah. external conflict for them to come together. But, like, I felt like it didn't need it, and I kind of wish that wasn't there, because I felt like the family drama part actually really worked. And, the, you know, the side is completely mm-hmm. bananas but like i thought it was a really interesting movie that had an interesting discussion about nature versus nurture yeah clearly like you know comparing somebody who is beautiful and has book smarts compared to someone who is more homely with street smarts and it was just it's kind of like a character piece like comparing these types of people you know are we who we are out of the womb or are we do we learn different things depending on our upbringing like there was more thought put into it than i would have expected for like a 1988 high concept comedy i loved Arnold in this movie. What I love most, and I think I already touched on this, is he's just so confident that he could have demanded that he's the guy that knows everything. He's suave and has it all together. And he's the one teaching Danny DeVito, you know, how to do certain things. But he leaned into the comedy and he knew that it would be funnier if this statue of a man is the one that doesn't know how to dance or doesn't know how to like flirt with girls and is the fish out of water. And I think he He's just so smart because it is funnier. (laughs) I can totally imagine somebody like Stallone or or somebody from that time period just making all these demands like, no, I have to do this in this movie. I have to be a certain way. I have to look a certain way and act a certain way, you know, but he's just like, no, let's make it as funny as possible. It worked like his there's so many lines in this movie with his line readings. There's one that says, I did nothing. The pavement was his enemy. (laughs) He's talking about somebody that's like robbing him, but then he just like barely lifts a finger and ends up overpowering him and throws him to the ground. I just think he's so charming. He has great facial expressions. Like, I can't take my eyes off him watching this movie. I love it. And I love the fact that this movie does say Arnold would 100% stand out in a crowd (laughs) versus like a lot of other movies where it's like, I just happen to be an everyday scientist (laughs) who's like six foot whatever and like (laughs) jacked. Yeah. I really liked what you're talking about, like the nature versus nurture element of this. I Do you think that that was a bit of thought that I didn't expect this movie to have on its mind? And there's a good moment where they, like, confront the scientist who was in charge of this experiment, and the scientist basically says, like, all the purity and strength went into Julius, all the crap that was left over went into what you see in the mirror every morning. That was was mean. Really, like, mean. uh, must be we made the milkshake. We weren't making milkshakes. We're making the most fully developed human the world has ever seen. But instead of just one perfect kid, Mom had the two of us. Way to go, Mom! Wrong. The embryo did split in two, but it didn't split equally. All the purity and strength went into Julius. All the crap that was left over went into what you see in the mirror every morning. Whoa, 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 you tell me I'm the crap? No, this is not true, well, Wait a minute, Julius. I want to hear this. You're telling me that I am the leftover crap, that I'm no good? He's wrong. Look at him. Are you saying that I'm a side effect? 
You haven't got the brain power to understand this, and I haven't got the time. Show's over. I think just Danny DeVito is one of my favorite actors ever. But he plays it, like, so genuinely, because he is such a shitbag of a person, but... But he's not a shitbag, he's just... He's someone who does shitty things, but he's a person who's been told all of his life that he is a shitbag, and that he's supposed mm-hmm. to be a shitbag, and that that's the only possible thing he can be. And so, like, part of why he's so thrown off by the introduction of this new brother into his life is that he expects it to be a scam for most of the time. Mm-hmm. And even when he starts to like understand that that it's actually true he doesn't see for himself until the very end the possibility that being with someone like this and having someone like this in your life could be a good influence on you i really do love this scene where arnold is trying to convince him to like let's go we like we know where our mom is let's go like go to her yeah and and you think it's going to go one way where Arnold's being so earnest and he's like, we'll have Thanksgivings and Christmases and be a family. And, and Danny DeVito's character is like a real family. And he's like, yes. And you think it's going to end with like DeVito having some quip. Fuck that. I, you know, like not fuck. Yeah, you but, think he's going to undercut it. Totally. Yeah, you think yeah. he's going to undercut it. Yeah. But it's like, no, that's what. And he accepts it. And that's what gets him to go in the car to go see his mom. And I love that this comedy, like, was that earnest? And like that, like, yes, th- this is what this character wants is he what he never had, which is a family, a brother, a mom, like people that cared about him and, and wanted to be with him. And I just loved that moment in this movie. Yeah, I thought the fish out of water stuff was really fun with Arnold especially like he does have a really good line deliveries I think my favorite was a line that's not particularly funny like written but like the way he says it is is when he I think just turns to someone when he's driving away and says I've only been driving an hour (laughs) (laughs) it was really good it was really funny And, and just all those moments where he's a golden retriever. I feel like he's playing <laughs> totally. a golden retriever. He's just so happy to be here. Like, will, like, talk to any, like, say that to any stranger. Like, be like, I'm just, you know, like, you're my best friend. You're my new best friend. And I'm so excited about driving a car. And I'm excited to be in Hollywood and this and that. So I think he plays that really well. And I, I do agree that he's really game for that. There are other actors who wouldn't be. But you can tell he's just willing to throw himself into anything. Thing. One of the first things we see him do is sing yakety yak like at the top of his lungs <laughs> on an airplane, which is ridiculous. We've all been there. Mm-hmm. Take out the papers and the trash. Or you don't get no spending cash. If you don't scrap that kitchen floor, you ain't gonna rock and roar no more. Yakety yak. Don't talk back. Da 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 da. I knew you were trouble the second I laid eyes on you. Excuse me. I just have never heard this kind of music before. I do wish that there was, like, more setup of who he was on the island and why he was there for 35 years alone and never left. He was with the scientist who lied to him and raised him. Doing (laughs) what exactly? But also, if they... Okay, so they thought they would only have one baby. I guess they never did an ultrasound. (laughs) Right. And to find out it was going to be two. But then they wouldn't have the other one be... In the experiment, the lifelong experiment. Well, or- <laughs> like, how would they know which one was going to be the good baby? 
Well, or it's worse, and they anticipated that the baby they sent off to a random orphanage to be adopted out, they maybe they assumed he would have the worst life and wanted to set about proving that. Like, it's like, it's genuinely kind of evil, like... Oh, it, oh, it's for sure yeah, evil. Yeah. That's why I was like, Arnold, maybe you should be a little bit more pissed off. <laughs> yeah, and I, I just, I feel like if they had actually showed some more of the life on the island, like the very first thing we see of Arnold Schwarzenegger he's like what I have a brother I'm like why did he tell him now like how did he find out about that yeah he just decided to tell him on his 35th birthday or whatever he's 35 but I was like but why yeah. why did he tell him now and that's kind of what I mean by the lazy writing is that you feel like you write that in the pitch is like oh he gets told on the 35th birthday but then like you have to like when you're writing the scene you have to like think like why would he tell him now oh yeah the guy should have been on his deathbed and it should have been like a confession right and that way he might be pissed off at him but he has to like move on because the guy is dying and then he has to move on to find his mom like that would have been more like a reason why he's finding out right now sure or like arnold's character is so like academic and research-minded maybe he's like digging through his father's old files and find something you know like yeah i feel like that was kind of a lazy point yeah and i just i would like is there no female on this island that he could have ever had any romantic interest in (laughs) and this is something that i find in a lot of his movies especially some of the ones we're going to talk about today i feel like writers have a hard time writing any backstory for arnold schwarzenegger characters they always kind of feel like they started existing the moment Mm -hmm. that the movie begins and that's kind of how this feels is like there's no real imagination paid to like what he's been doing for the last 35 Mm -hmm. years it's like he showed up as fully grown Arnold Schwarzenegger, and now the now his life begins. He actually arrived at that Hawaiian island naked in a ball of lightning, like he did in Terminator. <laughs> exactly. It's like every movie, he's a Terminator who just beamed yep. in from yep. the future. Yeah. So there are, you know, things like that in the story that it's like, I wonder about and probably could have made it a stronger movie, but what's here is pretty fun. I have a hard time deciding how much of a choice this was to make him look ridiculous and how much of this is just 1988, but he wears shorts and a blazer with converse high tops and bobby socks i think it's supposed to make him look ridiculous yes. okay yeah, and the yeah. shorts are like bell-bottom shorts yeah i think they're supposed to look good when they're in the suit right the matching suit that's right um very rain man uh-huh. uh i believe we talked about this in the rain man episode is that this movie came out i think a month before rain man <laughs> oh, but they yeah. also feature a pair of uh unusual an unusual set of brothers brothers one taller than the other and and both wearing identical suits and one teaches the other to dance in a hotel room Mm -hmm. (laughs) on a road trip we're not saying they stole their trip but there was there was some mutual drip inspiration there and yet only one of them could win best picture (laughs) (laughs) the wrong one won (laughs) i also wanted to say i love chloe webb who plays uh danny devito's girlfriend linda mason she has this like super distinctive squeaky and smoky voice and I really loved how, like, she and Kelly Preston got along together. They're, like, chain-smoking in a grocery store while shopping for devil's food cake too. mix. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, smoking in a grocery store. What I know. could be more 80s? And, like, uh, Chloe has one of my favorite lines in the movie, which is when Linda and Kelly Preston are walking through the grocery store chain-smoking, and Linda's talking about how much she loves Vincent. And I really bought, like, her and Danny DeVito's chemistry. He's a force of nature. You're out of control. Why not? That poetry he pretends to write, they're old song lyrics. I know that. 
Geez, you think I don't know that? No, I don't think you no, know that. No, I do. It's a style thing with him. That's how he expresses himself. And he means it. Even if he doesn't know he means it, Vince has a truly romantic soul. I can't hear this anymore. Well, then don't, because if you have a boyfriend like I have a boyfriend, you'd make a cake like this, and then you love it, and you get laid. <laughs> That's cute. This is a cute movie. It really is the perfect transition for Arnold from action star to comedian. Because I think we often, I mean, I think we talked about this when we were thinking about this episode. Is like, how did this guy get to be a mainstream comedian? Like, in American comedies, like, he is the least likely person mm-hmm. to be in many, many successful comedies. And it makes sense when you look at the trajectory of, like, because this is a movie about a guy who was created in a lab, which we already kind of feel like Arnold Schwarzenegger, it seems like he had to be, like, even in real life, almost. We think of him as, like, not having a childhood, exactly. like Or not being of earthly origin. <laughs> yeah, like, he's, like, Thor or Hercules mm-hmm. or something. And he played Hercules, you know? He just, like, beamed here. So I think this is the perfect way to transition him and that he's constantly playing on the fact that he's like this sort of hulking bimbo, kind of like a Ken doll, basically. Yeah, it's really fun. I was interested in like the seduction scene with Kelly Preston. So was I. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I was interested in it from a more academic (laughs) perspective. Well, it just reminded me of how asexual Arnold Schwarzenegger is in so many movies like that there's this weird relationship because his body is such a feature of so many of his movies and he's often like not wearing that many clothes or any clothes like in the beginning of like the Terminator movies and especially like I think in some of these 80s movies like he's shirtless in this movie a few times like the movie is obviously like wants you to like look at his body in this movie but like he's very rarely like someone who has like a sexual urge and is actually like pursuing anything and this makes him such like a literal virgin but also like He's like a 12-year-old boy, and that almost seems like he can't even consent to this woman who's, like, trying to, like, seduce him. Well, and that's really interesting. There's a phenomenon some cultural critics have talked about in the context of the Marvel movies now that kind of dominate all other film production, which is that all of the actors involved are super sexy, like conventionally super attractive and have beautiful bodies, but simultaneously they're completely desexualized, like asexual characters in all the stories. And I do feel like for the most part, like Arnold was one of the first people whose like on-screen persona didn't have so much of like sexiness as much as hyper masculinity. And yeah, I think there's something kind of dysphoric and weirdly schizophrenic about that because it really just denies a whole element of people's humanity. And I do like how they played with that in this. Yeah, like the 80s had tons of gratuitous sex scenes in movies. So it's not like it was an era where that wasn't happening. Right. And especially in like the kinds of movies that he's in, like an action movie, like there's often like a fling with the, with the hot young woman that he's trying to save or whatever. And, I can't really think of that happening in the movies that he's in. Like, he never seems like someone who's, like, romantically interested in someone or pursuing someone. I disagree. I think it's not graphic. I think he usually has a love interest if it's a movie kind of like this. I think of True Lies with the scene of him watching his wife strip 
and he's definitely like into it. I think that it shows that he is like a family man and he's kind of conservative, like not conservative enough not to do scenes like that, but he has a love interest and it's about the romance. It's not really about the sex. In this movie, he's not hooking up with women. He actually really does like this woman and they like become like an item. But also like the sex scene is not graphic at all. Like, and again, this is like, what is this? Like a PG comedy? So it wasn't going to be, but like... I think that's where he probably feels comfortable is that, sure, I'll do a scene where I'm kissing and I have my shirt off, but then we're going to cut to after. That's going to be my love interest. That's not like I'm just picking up girls in the bar. Yeah, and I mean, in this movie, that's his character and it makes sense, but like, I just feel like it's something that does run through his career. Like, he often has like a wife or a love interest, but it's so sanitized. And even in True Lies, like, it's a sexy scene, but he's not being active in it. He's literally hiding away and she's the one who's being, you know, sexy. And yeah. it's like this plot where this there's this other guy played by Bill Paxton who's like the one who's like pursuing her and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is kind of emasculated by this guy, which is technically ridiculous because he's Arnold Schwarzenegger and he's like this big hulking man. And you would think that a guy that looks like this would be someone who can be horny and pursue a woman and like like so many actors Danny DeVito does that in this movie and so many other movies like he's the one who is like horny all the time and that's that's part of Danny DeVito's persona but it's like it's very weird that Arnold Schwarzenegger's persona is like so sanitized of that I don't know if it's necessarily his personality that's so sanitized or just like we were talking about like a lot of writers didn't know how to write for him yeah you know and and i think especially male sexuality and sensuality is a more difficult ask to ask of really any mainstream screenwriter clearly clearly yeah. you know and it's like there i can think of plenty of exceptions but i think true lies itself was kind of an exception in a way that played both off of arnold's image as a star and uh, very much off of jamie lee curtis's image as a star and i think that's part of the reason that movie was so successful and had such attention paid to it at the time is because it kind of played off both their star personas in an interesting way well i think probably more screenwriters look like Danny DeVito (laughs) than they do like Arnold Schwarzenegger. So there is something kind of interesting to the fact that like they feel comfortable writing Danny DeVito like as a like human being with a sexuality. Maybe like the writers can't get into like Arnold's head and feel like, oh, I can write what this guy would be like, you know, as I'm not trying to say like he should they should be like overtly sexual, but it's just I feel like that's really missing from his persona in a way that it's not really with other big stars. Like Mel Gibson has sex with women and Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm thinking of I guess yeah, Mel Gibson at the time, um, and like Patrick Swayze mm-hmm. was always seen as like kind of like an er- an erotic being. R- Roadhouse has become a perennial rewatch for me. Oh, Dirty Dancing. Or Bruce Willis. Or like, Dirty Dancing, you know, yeah. Okay, like, Bruce he was Willis an action star, but he occasionally, like, hooked up with women in movies, and I, there was some erotic stuff. I think these are the types of projects Schwarzenegger gravitated toward. Maybe the writers didn't know how to write for him, or maybe he was like, I want to be classy, I want a rom- romantic partner, but I don't want anything trashy. And also, that's not the point of the movie the point is you know the comedy or the action or well and i think with this the fact that they make him literally a virgin kind of sidesteps that 
and gets around that and engages it in kind of a playful way. Like, he's just discovering erotic attraction for the first time in his own life as well. Yeah, no, I think it makes sense in this movie. It just made me think about that as a larger context of, like, the rest of his career. And that's why, like, the quote where he's, like, talking so much about, like, orgasming and the Pumping Iron movie (laughs) surprised me because, like, I would have otherwise maybe thought, like, maybe he's kind of maybe prude is a too strong word but someone who didn't want to do that in his movies but like he seems very sexually like open to talk about it and he's very game to like show off his body he's like not clearly not like shy about doing like a scene where he would have to be like shirtless or something like that but I find it interesting for someone who so much of his image is about his body that like so little of it is about like sex and desire can I just say also like I definitely think he's attractive he's an attractive man But, like, he's not sexy in the way, like, Patrick Swayze at this moment in time was sexy. (laughs) I just can't get out of my head the scene where they pan from Kelly Preston after they're having sex, and they pan over to Arnold, and he has these bug eyes. (laughs) Like, he's goofy looking. He's so enormous and so goofy that, like, it plays into the comedy so well. It's like I almost wouldn't buy him being sexy, you know? I wouldn't buy it. And maybe he knows that, like, and so he's just like, let's make this as funny as possible. I also think we have to include Vincent's Danny DeVito's character's whole monologue where he literally cannot believe or comprehend Julius's muscles. Like, he thinks Julius is having an allergic reaction when he takes <laughs> his shirt off. He's like, oh my god, your back is even worse than the front. What is going wrong here? Sorry, I tore your shirt, Vincent. I don't know what happened. Julius. What? What are you, are you allergic to something? No. Don't worry, these bumps all over your body. And you're all swelled up. You look like you're ready to explode. <laughs> yeah, put this shirt on. There are women and children present. And your back. It's worse than the front. It's like North Dakota. You're so funny, Vincent. It's pretty funny, and it's, again, something that it's, like, nice to have a scene where Danny DeVito can make a comment about Arnold Schwarzenegger's body being, I mean, it's not exactly, it's not like he thinks he's hot, but, like, being, you know, like, a great body, and without having to have, like, it be like, oh, but I'm not gay, like, some kind of qualifier. I can't let us stop talking about this movie without saying two words, which are Beetroot McKinley. (laughs) Wait, what's that? That is the name of the villain in this movie. Yes. Wait, for real? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, yes. Wait, who's the villain? Who's the villain? Villain in this movie? Well, the guy that is trying to kill Danny DeVito. Okay, not not the scientist who lied. No. Okay. Beetroot McKinley. McKinley. <laughs> and it just like we were saying earlier, but it was just like I feel like this is an era in which low level criminals had to come after you, no matter what the movie was about. Like they're. <laughs> just had to be like some mobsters coming after you and they had to have a dick tracy ass name yeah no matter what that is very dick tracy it's a very dick tracy name and then this has the weirdest villain death ever (laughs) i don't even remember they get chased into a factory yes someone looks up and they see a long chain an industrial chain like spooled around a long you know like spindle and they like 
pull a lever and this i swear it had to be at least 400 feet long 400 miles long <laughs> it is the pile is taller than arnold schwarzenegger when it's done it's, it's taller than so some big. buildings it's so big and it just keeps falling and falling on him it's is, like what it, movie is this? is that when he's like you forgot the last rule of yes of yes. defense or whatever the last rule and of defense duck? or whatever yeah yeah which one's first what, are you going to kill us even though we gave you the money? You got it. Oh, wait a minute. You forgot the third rule in a crisis situation. The third rule? The third rule? Yeah. Third rule. Oh! The third rule! But what's the third rule? Duck! It just smashes him. He just goes and smash. the chain ends up like kind of looking like yarn because it's obviously not a full on chain falling on this actor. So, <laughs> oh, and the last thing that I wanted to mention was just like the backstory of Danny DeVito growing up in like a kind of a convent orphanage and seducing a nun when he was twelve. I was like, where is that movie? <laughs> I know. I wanted that. Where's that prequel? I want that. I don't want to be, like, too 2022 about this, but, like, they all act like the 12-year-old boy is the one who is, like... Like, he, He's the he predator. corrupted that adult woman nun. I'm like, uh, maybe we need to, like, look at what she was doing with the 12-year-old boy. Yeah, they got the power dynamic very wrong there, I think. Maybe in triplets. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll get a we'll nice get, flashback. We'll get that woman to come back. And that's all the DNA we can mix into a jar on this episode of When We Were Young. Join us for part two of Shorts of Preggers, where we'll discuss Kindergarten Cop and Junior. The When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcast product. Rate and review us five stars or more on your platform of choice. And you can find us and follow us on all social medias. You can also contribute to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash young, so we can produce more episodes that we distribute to you for free. I have been Seth. I'm Chris. And I am coming day and night. It's terrific. (laughs) 